Hello, welcome to Talking Trauma with me, Juanita Delaway. I'm a trauma and narcissistic abuse recovery coach, and I help women overcome the effects of childhood trauma and unloving mothers. I'm always excited to know that you're listening, and I really hope that you are enjoying this first series of Talking Trauma. So if you're here, you're probably wondering if you suffered trauma or if you have a difficult relationship with your mother and wonder if the anxiety, those intrusive negative thoughts or your triggers that you're experiencing now as an adult are the result of that really difficult relationship with your mother. So that's why today I'm going to talk about our nervous systems and how it relates to that bond between mother and baby and how that shapes the very essence of who we are, of who we become, and the real, real importance of having a secure attachment figure. I'll explain what all these words mean so that you can understand in real terms what it means for you. And the impact on our nervous systems and the ability to form relationships when we don't have that secure attachment. Do you ever get that feeling that what you know everybody else knows so when you use words you think that other people understand what you're talking about recently I've discovered that that really really isn't the case so because I want you to use the information that I've given you and hopefully make it relevant to your life I'll explain the words as I go along but if i don't remember all of them, feel free to drop me a line at podcast at juanitadelaway.co.uk and I'll try my very best to fit it into the next podcast to explain those words some more. So let's dive into our nervous system. Now don't switch off just yet because you'll hopefully understand the significance of your own nervous system and your triggers and your fight and flight. So our nervous system is our inbuilt safety system. It's our warning system. And when I talk about the nervous system, I'll quote what's called the polyvagal theory. And I hope that it doesn't bamboozle you, but it really is a great way of understanding how our nervous system works in the event of a perceived danger or when we're feeling calm. So there's three states and the first one is nice and calm uh, and then fight or flight and it's like a hierarchy. Then goes into freeze. So there's three hierarchical states, calm, fight or flight and then freeze. So our vagus nerve is the main hero of our nervous system. And that nerve, it runs from your brainstem. So if you put your hand at the back of your head and you know that kind of nice little indent, it runs from about there down through your organs such as your heart and your stomach. And it can affect your heart rate. It affects your lungs, your muscles, your liver, your digestive system. So it affects that salivary production in your mouth. So that nerve is the one we refer to when we're talking about polyvagal theory. It's the one that has those three states. I really hope I'm not sounding like a science teacher. So the first one is a state of calm. 
So that's the place that we like to be in because that's the place when we're nice and comfortable and we can sit in front of the television and have a cup of coffee or have a cup of chocolate and feel safe and warm and we can chat to people. And when we're in that state, that's when we're most compassionate. We can feel compassionate for the other person because we're in our present state. We're in the present. We're feeling what's happening at the moment. So the next stage of our nervous system is what's called fight or flight. And I think this is quite commonly known about nowadays. But that's when we get triggered by something that our nervous system thinks is a threat. Now, this might be an actual threat or it might be a perceived danger that's based on our past traumatic experience. And our system thinks it's happening now. So this state is when we're in a state of arousal, when all of those hormones such as cortisol start to get produced in your body. And it's those hormones that help the body to either run away or to fight or flight. And this is what makes us feel anxious. It sends our heart rate up, our mouth dries up. And you might even start to feel tingling in your fingers. And inside of your body, there's lots of other changes going on as a result of this cortisol that's running through your body. And then there's a third state, and this is in polyvagal theory, and that's called freeze. And this is our last resort of safety. This is when our nervous system perceives that the response that you're having to a perceived danger is so overwhelming, it's just inescapable. You can't get out of it. It's the same as when an animal pretends to be dead. And it's about conserving energy. It's about avoiding confrontation. But for a human being, when we're in this state, we get feelings of hopelessness, depression, we disassociate. So what that means is we we cut ourselves off from any emotions. We just don't feel anything, basically. And we're shut down. So those are the three states of the polyvagal theory. There is also another state, not necessarily covered by polyvagal theory, and that's called the fawn response. And this is when you try to avoid or minimize the distress or danger that the perpetrator is going to inflict on you by pleasing them, by appeasing them, doing anything to not rile them, to not aggravate them. And a lot of the time it will come at the cost of the person doing the appeasing. But for this podcast episode, I'll just concentrate on the polyvagal theory and those three states, which is calm, fight or flight, and then freeze. So you're probably asking yourself, why does this even matter? And if you really don't understand what I've said, just drop me a line and I can do some more on another podcast. Because this podcast is all about helping you to understand the science that is going on at the moment and the further understanding that we've got of our nervous systems and the importance of understanding our nervous systems and reprogramming our nervous systems if we need to. So here comes a little bit more sciencey stuff. 
but I'll explain it in the context of helping you understand why it's important to recognize the bond between mother and child. So when we're in utero, so when we're in the womb, in the third trimester, so the last three months of a pregnancy, the system that produces the fight or flight hormone and reduces the production of those fight or flight hormone, it's called the HPA axis. I won't go into that. If you want to look it up, that's what it's called, HPA, hypothalamus, pituitary and adrenal. Anyway, that axis begins to develop in the baby. So in the last three months, it begins to develop. So that means that the baby, when it's in the womb, is able to start adapting to the environment because its own nervous system is now coming online. So it's able to adapt to the environment that's going on outside of the womb because it's getting its information via the placenta, via the mother. So if the mother is calm, baby will feel calm. If the mother is in a threatening or a perceived threatening situation and she's in her fight or flight producing cortisol, guess what? baby will also get the cortisol. So if this is a constant or a consistent thing during those last three months of pregnancy, baby is then primed, the nervous system is then primed to expect a threatening environment. A great guy called Gabor Mate, he's a a really, really prominent voice in the trauma world. He suggests that If you're born into a threatening environment and you've been primed for that threatening environment, then it might be an advantage to you so that you can be hypervigilant. But what happens if you're born into an environment that doesn't need you to be hypervigilant? And what I mean by that is, in real terms, is you're always on alert. So your nervous system is always kind of edging towards fight or flight because you're expecting something bad to happen. So you might always be jumping at sounds or looking around you. And he also gives examples of when you're in a school or a workplace and you're hypervigilant, so you're always on alert. These are places where you need to focus. You need to be focused on a task or you need to be focused on learning and not be distracted by other things that are going on around you. So like a door slamming or somebody shouting. And if that's what required to get good grades or to produce a good piece of work and your nervous system is constantly in fight or flight, well, that's not going to help you, is it? Because you're not going to be able to focus. Because when we go into our fight or flight system, our prefrontal cortex, which is our front part of our brain, our nice logical thinking part of our brain, that goes offline. It's not needed, so it goes offline. So if you're always in this state, because you were primed at birth, and then since birth you've had traumatic experiences or you've not been comforted when you've gone into your fight or flight. You are not going to be in an optimal situation to learn or in adult life to produce a good solid piece of work. I can so relate to this situation. I hated school, hated it. And when my parents moved us from Brighton, a kind of provincial little town, 
to a big city, Bristol. It was a real shock to my system. And back then, it was highly populated and I had many problems with racial tensions, which spilled over into school. So I was bullied and I was beaten up because I was the new girl and I was different. So I had a really good reason to be hypervigilant and wasn't able to stay focused in my lessons or to do my homework. And as I've said in previous podcast episodes, I've been on a long journey of healing, self-discovery, and also discovery about my family and my parents. So I've learned a lot about my own parents and their trauma and the situations that they were in. And because of my mother's situation and the environment that she was in, it's highly likely that I was receiving a constant supply of cortisol via her when I was obviously in the womb, which in turn then primed my nervous system to be hypervigilant, to always be on alert. Okay, so our nervous systems are starting to be formed before we're even born and can be primed for danger before we enter this world. And if our mothers are in a state of stress, they're in a state of high anxiety, so in their fight or flight during the pregnancy, another thing that happens is the neurons in our brains are interfered with and can even be destroyed or not formed. There's also a decrease in the size of our hippocampus and our hippocampus is so important for memory and learning. And the amygdala, which is part of our fight or flight response system, it's also involved in emotional processing. There's an increase in the size of that. So all of these things added together set you up for a life of being hypervigilant, of having problems later into your childhood and also as an adult. So some of the behaviours that you've got now may well be because of the situation that you were born into or the situation that your mother was in before you were born. This podcast is really about giving you information that I've learnt, that I've used to help heal many of my childhood wounds and also I use with my clients as well. It's not about berating mothers who find themselves in difficult situations who find themselves in stressful situations and can't get out of it or appear to not want to get out of it that's not what I'm about I have deep deep compassion for my mother I know a little bit about her story before I was born so I just want to make it clear that this is information I found out and it's certainly helped me look at why I have some of the behaviours that I I did and also put me on the path to help other women. I really hope that this hasn't put you off listening to the rest of the podcast. But this is really valuable information because it allows those people that have had mothers that were anxious or suffered trauma in their own pregnancy or indeed suffered their own traumas, they then go on to have similar responses in their nervous system. So it's really important to understand how your nervous system was primed and then you can understand how you can then learn to regulate yourself. And what I mean by that is to, to, to help yourself to come back to calm. So the other subject that I really wanted to let you know about was attachment theory. 
and the importance of that mother and baby bond or a loving caregiver baby bond because obviously when the child is in utero then the mother is completely responsible for it but once the baby is born there are other people that can come into play as loving caregivers so attachment theory has been around a long time since the 1960s and it was developed by a guy called John Bowlby and he had this theory that this behavior to be attached to a caregiver was a survival mechanism and that as children as as babies and children we've got this real innate drive to become attached to our mothers because it gives a sense of safety it gives long-term benefits and he also said that it helps our psychological development and I personally learned about it partly in my nursing training and also in my counseling training and I didn't really see the personal significance of it until I started on this journey of doing really deep healing and becoming a trauma coach And it's even being used in coaching to understand your own attachment styles so that you can then learn how to be in a relationship or if you're attracting relationships that you don't want. Even though our nervous system started to come online during the later part of the pregnancy and it's been primed, as babies, we don't have the ability to regulate ourselves and and that means that if we get scared by something loud noise or frightened by mum leaving us alone, we don't know how to calm ourselves, to bring ourselves back to calm. So we need somebody that loves and cares for us to help us to do that. It's something that we have to learn. And we learn that from mother or a loving caregiver. So in order to come out of fight or flight to stop producing our own cortisol, we need the mother to pick us up, to hold us close, to feel her heartbeat, to know that she's calm so that we feel safe again. So mums and caregivers are really important to help to calm baby, but also to increase those positive feelings when the baby starts to smile it's smiling back at them so going back to the polyvagal theory when we are in fight or flight so that's when we've been triggered when we've been scared when we've been frightened by a real or perceived threat our thinking brain our logical brain shuts down and our nervous system takes over and it starts pumping our body full of cortisol and other hormones remember the hpa access i talked about earlier so that we can prepare our body to run away or to fight the danger so if mothers are feeling anxious frightened stressed or they're not capable of loving you, maybe because of their own past traumas, they cannot respond to your needs because they've shut down. And a really, really important part of being calm, in that calm state of our system, is that we engage with people. So if you're not in that calm place, you don't engage 
with other people, including the child. And it isn't just about providing those basic needs of feeding, changing, warmth. It's about recognizing when a baby is dysregulated. So they're feeling scared, they're in their flight or flight response. And the mother or the significant caregiver to comfort them. So if the baby needs that secure, loving attachment with the mother or the caregiver to switch off its fight or flight response, so stop producing cortisol, when they don't get that secure attachment, that calming presence of a loving caregiver, then they stay in their fight or flight. And it's well known now that that increase in cortisol from our stress response, our fight and flight response, decreases the immune response. And that can affect you for the rest of your life. So I'm just going to give you a really brief introduction to attachment styles. And there's four different types. And once you understand your attachment style, it's quite easy to see how you respond to other people, you know, like in friendships, intimate relationships, and even with your own parents and your own siblings. So the perfect optimal style would be a secure attachment. And that would be as a result of being nurtured as a child, being cared for as a child, being picked up as a child, and your needs being met, your emotional needs being met. So a caregiver holding you tight, close to their body, and to regulate your nervous system. So just remember that all of these are theories, and they are based on science, and they also help us to understand where some of our behaviours come from, where some of our protective behaviours come from, where some of our self-beliefs come from. But they are overall theories. And just because you've had a secure attachment doesn't mean to say that you're going to have a perfect life. And just because you haven't had a secure attachment doesn't mean to say that your life is going to be awful. There are, of course, other situations that impact how our behaviours develop. So it's not just one thing, it's all of these elements added together. But what it does do is give us an idea that when we do have these secure attachments or not, that then affects how our nervous system and how our brain develops. So it does have an impact. It's just not a complete predictor of how you're going to turn out as an adult. Back to secure attachment. So somebody that's had a secure attachment, that nice comforting bond with a caregiver, then can grow up as somebody that's able to connect with people because that's what they've learned. Connecting with people is safe. And they're not inherently anxious because they've learned how to manage their own nervous system. And also that their perceived threat of danger isn't as great as somebody who hasn't had a secure attachment. Unless, of course, when they are actually in danger, then their nervous system kicks into fight or flight. And they're really comfortable with that intimacy between people because that's what they've learned. That's what they learned by being comforted and held and their needs being responded to. 
And they're not necessarily worried about rejection because they've had that bond with their mother and they know that they're loved. They feel that they're loved. So they don't get preoccupied with the relationships when, you know, you, you need that person to love you. You need that person to always be showing you that they love you. And it's really easy for somebody that's had a secure attachment to get close to others because they know how to do it. They've learned how to do it. And then they can depend on other people as well because, you know, as human beings, we need that connection. And so they've learned that. They've learned that to connect with somebody is safe. And it is all about being safe. It's all about giving that sense of safety to our nervous system. On to the next attachment style, which is called avoidant attachment style. That's when the caregiver doesn't show caring behaviours. They're not responsive to what the child needs. They don't pick them up when they cry. And they can even dismiss the needs of their child, the needs of the baby. So for the child, their response to this type of behaviour is that they don't then seek to make contact with their caregiver. Because they've learned that even when they do seek their caregiver's attention, they don't get it or they don't get what they need from that attention. And also when their caregiver leaves or when the mother leaves, they don't show any signs of distress. And when the, the caregiver returns, the mother returns, they don't actually acknowledge that they've returned because, of course, they've learned that well, what's the point? I don't get what I need. I don't get my needs fulfilled. So children that have an avoidant attachment style, they've learned this behavior. They also downregulate their needs, their responses. So that means they, they suppress their emotions or they suppress their needs because if they weren't getting met, what's the point of showing them because they've got this lack of trust in their caregiver. So probably like a lot of other people, you're wondering why this matters. Well, it matters because this is like another blueprint that we develop when we're children. And that then goes with us through our adult life. And if you've got these avoidant behaviors as a child, this is what you've learned in order to kind of protect yourself. As an adult, you then are likely to be emotionally distant and you reject those intimate, close relationships, you know, keeping partners at arm's length. So independence is their priority. And that also translates to denying their needs. You know, like I said before, the child pushes down their emotions so they deny their needs and vulnerability because that's what they learned as a child I don't get what my needs met if I show my vulnerability or my needs so I'm not going to do it they are really really comfortable with being self-reliant and avoiding emotional intimacy I really hope this is making sense to you and as I've said before if it doesn't then feel free to drop me a line at podcast at juanitadelloway.co.uk. So the third attachment style is called anxious attachment. And that's as a result of the mother not being consistent in the care that they give. So not being consistent in fulfilling the child's needs. And so that then translates to the child not knowing when their needs are going to be met. 
and that leads to the child having an increased anxiety in situations where the mother is emotionally unavailable if the mother struggles to express or respond to a child's emotions it can leave that child feeling unimportant unseen and that can lead to the child questioning is this emotional connection with my mother safe they're not sure if they can trust this person to look after them some mothers are dealing with their own trauma or not dealing with their own trauma and that then creates this projection of their own anxieties onto the child and that creates this vicious cycle of anxious energy so as an adult this type of attachment can develop into a desire to always seek approval like people pleasing behaviors you do things in order to get back what you need from that person you need that other person to validate you so you'll do everything and anything in order to get somebody to love you, to say you're a nice person or you're really needed, all of those things that you need them to say, you'll then do behaviours, carry out behaviours so that they do say it. So you don't feel rejected because even though you're an adult, you still got this behaviour that you learnt as a child. And as a child, if we are rejected, our chances of survival are severely reduced. And in order to get what we need, that can translate into not being able to put in your own boundaries, not being able to say no to doing things that don't serve you or are actually detrimental to your well-being. Having an anxious attachment style can also leave you really highly sensitive to criticism because let's face it, being criticised for some people, and I can hold my hand up to this, it's like being rejected, isn't it? The fourth attachment style, according to Bowlby, is disorganised attachment. And that stems from the mother being abusive physically, emotionally. And, and it also includes shouting at the child, demeaning language towards the child. And the child, because of this behaviour, then perceives the mother as the source of comfort and also the source of threat. So it creates this dissonance in their head and it's that confusion, not only in their head, but in their system, in their nervous system, in their body. And that translates into their behaviour, you know, always being on edge and constantly craving the caregiver's attention, but also frightened when they get that caregiver's attention. And we humans like predictability. And if the child can't predict the mother's emotional responses, or there's a real quick change in their emotions, and they can't predict what makes that change in their mother's emotions, things like going from extreme anger to affection, they're not going to know what's going on next so they don't know how to adapt their own behavior because they don't actually know what their mother's behavior is going to be and whilst this could happen with any of the attachment styles I find this really sad so you've got this child that doesn't know if it's going to be cared for or is unsure what's going to happen with its mother and then it suffers a traumatic event, either at the hands of its mother or caregivers or other people. And then the mother 
doesn't comfort the child. So it's like a double whammy. The child experiences that traumatic event and there's no one there to comfort them and to hold them and to say it's okay, it's safe, because that's what also is a part of the secure attachment is to ensure that when something bad happens, the child can run to the mother or the child can go to the caregiver and be comforted and say, oh, that's okay, that's okay. And then their nervous system learns that, oh, okay, I was scared and I can go and find solace with my caregiver and I'm safe. And then they learn to regulate their own nervous system. So that's attachment theory wrapped up very quickly. And I just want to say thank you for staying with me on this really deep dive into some challenging topics. Because I know it's not always easy to confront these aspects of your behaviour and your parents' behaviour and those around you. But I just want you to remember one thing, that there's always hope. No matter what happened to you in your past or what your past might hold, once you start to look inside and examine your own behaviours and the ripple effect that it has across your life, you know, in your career, in your relationships, in your friendships, once you start to look at them, you can start to understand and you're already on that path of transformation. And I know that unpacking these layers is uncomfortable. It really is. And you discover moments of shame and guilt and sadness. And getting a grasp that these behaviours are not set in stone. These patterns are not set in stone. It really is a powerful realisation. And that means that healing those wounds from the past is within your grasp. So I just want to say thank you for still being here and to listening to some of these theories. And just know that healing is a journey. It's not a destination. And we are all on different points of our journey. So you know what? We can navigate that path together. We all need help. We all need some guidance. And when you're doing that, be really kind to yourself and embrace that discomfort because that tells you something. If you can embrace that discomfort, you can understand your behaviours associated with that discomfort. Here's to embracing healing and fostering that self-compassion, which I know a lot of us find really hard to do. And I'll see you on the next episode of Talking Trauma. I've been your host, Juanita Delaway, and it has been my absolute pleasure to share this time with you. And you know what? There are so many people that don't actually subscribe to their favourite podcast shows. So I would be more than grateful if you subscribe to mine. And don't forget, you can connect with me on all the socials, as well as dropping me a line at podcast at I'll see you on the next episode.